0: You're listening to the Better 2 Podcast with DM Needham. Hi gang, Donna here. thanks for tuning into the Better Two podcast. Today's guest is Susan Robertson. She starts off her journey when she was a child. Her childhood at times was not the most idyllic. There were days where there was no heat in the house on a cold winter's night. I mean, take yourself and put yourself in that position where you're a kid and you don't have any heat. You don't have any light. Everything's done by candlelight. It's cold and this is going to make an impression on you. This is going to this is going to form who you are because it's going to give you the drive and motivate you to say I never want to live like this again as an adult. And she doesn't. She has a pretty amazing story of how she created two businesses, how she became a stepmom of four kids and how raising them gave her a different avenue and appreciation for things. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. It, it was really interesting to talk to her. This episode of the Better Two Podcast is brought to you by Kitty Mystic and DM Needham, author of My Days With The Dark Muse, as well as Love Is Worth Waiting For. Hi Susan, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good, how are you? I'm doing good. Where are you located at currently? I live just outside of Charlottesville, Virginia. in a little town called Crozet so
0: it's not super cold and it's not super wintry
1: not yet no and I'm looking out my window I have a view of the Blue Ridge Mountains and lots of golds and reds and they'll be 55 today and 30s at night it's perfect
0: and we were 50 yesterday and then we were 17 last night
1: oh that's a little cool
0: (laughs) yeah. <laughs> but welcome to Chicago. You know, one day it'll be, yes. during the day it's 80, and at night it'll suddenly drop. So that is that is our life. So you are coming on the podcast because you decided that you wanted to take a huge risk with your life when it came to your financial independence. And yes. why don't you tell us a little bit about
1: that? Okay, well, my background, I have to say a little bit about childhood, is I grew up um Uh, extremely poor, particularly during my teenage years where we were on welfare. There were times we lived without gas or electricity and water in the dead of winter in Cleveland. And yeah, and there were, you know, some times where only candlelight and that kind of thing. And I remember making a decision to myself, uh, with myself, saying, I will never let this happen to me when I'm in control of my life. Because it was very dark, very painful for that. And so my original vocation that I thought I wanted to do based on my background was to become a social worker. And then when I saw how much they made, I was like, no, I've done poor already. Don't want to spend a lifetime doing that. But I still wanted to help people. Well,
0: I'm sorry. And the thing about that is, while you're helping all these other people, there's also a certain amount of stress you're going through. Because... I have a feeling that you most likely are a type of person who takes on other people's problems.
1: Sometimes I've learned not to, but that took some, I had to learn lots of learnings. And so, um, you know, I went and got a degree in finance and marketing and, you know, was working at a bank when um, at 26 years old, I realized that that was not the life for me. Didn't matter how financially secure I was. And so my husband and I started a company, a consulting firm company. And I married a man with four children. So that was my first leap off of what I would say was you know banking, financial security, steady paycheck, um, ticking all the boxes that I wanted to have ticked from my childhood, and then um, starting over and having to go through the stresses of making sure we provided for those children, and yet still did what I would call the American Dream, start our own business. And then five years ago, company doing absolutely fine, there was something else I wanted to get into. so I jumped again and started all over again. And um, you know we're in the th- my third year of business with a new company. Um, similar similar um, type of business, but very different products and services. And so having to start all over, in a very different era during covid mm. has been you so it brought up a lot of the same fears that i had when i was 27 that i had when i was 15 and yet um of course fortunately not as much i didn't i knew i would never go that far back but still you never want at least me i never want to tap my savings for anything you know
0: well and i was going to say you know the fact that you took you're willing to become a step parent there is that's a lot of responsibility. And I had somebody, cause I was a step parent myself. I had somebody comment on a post on a short I made. It was an outtake of a video. And I mentioned something about being a step parent and this person commented that with adoption, a child always knows that they want to be adopted. And with a step parent, you're actually in the relationship for the, for the other person, not for the kids. So the kids aren't wanted. I'm thinking No, (laughs) because I actually have interviewed people that have been adopted and they're like, I had real bad issues of abandonment because I was adopted. And I'm sure like myself, you kind of, when you decided, Hey, I'm going to be the step parent, especially to four kids. Ultimately, you know, that you're going to have an effect on their life. Yeah. And you have, it's not just something casual.
1: No. And you accept, you accept the whole package yeah, and knowing that you're, you're in the role of a parent, but you're not the actual parent. And then how do you work with that when, you know, there's very much of a love relationship with both parents. And then, yeah, you're kind of coming in. And, you know, of course, that was 30 some years ago. Uh, now they're all grown people. And um, but yeah, it was, um, you know, learning how to be a step parent was and, and to find that love relationship with them, too, because ultimately I never had children of my own. So they were it, you know, for, for me and um, they still aren't it for me, even though they're big people now.
0: And and that's the thing. I think the way movies have portrayed step parents for so long in the media, it's like, you're supposed to be the wicked, nasty person.
1: Yeah. Or the Go ahead. It was funny. You bring that up because I remember it was Dee Dee. I believe she's one of the twin girls and she must've been five or six years old. And, I heard her behind me. Some somebody asking, "Well, who's she? Like, That's Sue. Well, who's she? That's my stepmom. Oh, is she like Cinderella's stepmom?" Oh. <laughs> I heard Deedee. And of course, now my ears are perked up. I heard Deedee go, "No, she's not like that. She's really nice. She's not like Cinderella's stepmom." I'm like, "Oh, thank uh, God. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, I would have gotten some feedback, right?"
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, my <clears throat> my situation was kind of different because the girl's mom was out of the picture. So I ended up playing surrogate mom and I ended up going to school one day with the kids. And somehow it's like, because I, I did everything. My husband was on the road. So I did everything. And I remember one of the teachers looking at me going, you're actually not related biologically. I'm like, no, she goes, I would have never known the mm-hmm. way you look, the way you guys all I'm like, yeah. So for me, cause I ended up walking away. It was a very hard thing because these were my, you know, they were my kids, just like you're saying. And, and for people to sit there and say, well, step parents, they don't love those kids. It's BS.
1: Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. And now I've got eight grandkids. So um, wow. is um, nice, you know, because it's, it's really and we have a great relationship with the children's biological mother. You know, we've, we've spent all holidays together from the time they were young. And, um, you know, so we tried to make that family work or as Drew would say, he has three parental units that he grew up with. And, you know, and there's always going to be that special biological connection that you will never have as a step-parent, but that doesn't mean that that relationship is any less important or valid or loving, you know? And
0: And I I commend you guys because of the fact that, if you were willing to spend holidays together as a family unit, even with the exes, I mean, I'm a child of divorce and to get my parents to be at my graduation, uh, my high school graduation was just an amazing thing. And my dad didn't stay to go to dinner with us. It was like, all right, I came, bye. It was never, we were never having the family participation of trying to make it work. If I even, you know, we're all adults now. If I even mentioned my dad, I remember visiting my dad and I said something about my mother and he just went off and my husband had never seen the side of me. He's like, you reverted back to a kid. Oh, wow. He's like, I watched you just change into this kid again. I was like, I don't know why I did it, but it was just, he, he got nasty about it. And it was just all those things that just came back to life. That was like, wow. Okay. But I don't think we really realize that we can fall into those roles. Yeah, we can. And something you were touching on. I mean, I never my my living situation, we never were without lights or anything like that. But well, I shouldn't say that. I remember my grandmother, my mom scraping the money together because the lights had been shut off and going to the power company to pay the bill that day. And hopefully it would get turned back on that night.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So I know that that stress, and, and that's one thing, going back to the step-parent thing, it's like I never wanted to have my kids go through what I went through.
1: Exactly. Same. I, when I married my husband, I'm like, we will never miss a payment. If we have to go without and eat only peanut butter and jelly, we will not miss a payment because we need to keep them secure. We need to keep them safe. Even though we're off starting a business, we were both in banking, they shouldn't suffer for our decision. And that was, it was a big decision that we we both took to make sure that financially they didn't suffer. Did they have everything in the world? No. Um, but, you know, we never missed a payment. And as far as I know, we were never late either.
0: Well, and that kind of goes along with what's coming up, which is the holiday season. You yeah. you have people that want to make their kids happy by giving them the thing that they want. And they'll put themselves in hock to do that. When really the biggest thing that most kids want without really knowing it is to be loved.
1: It's to be loved. It's to be together. It's mm-hmm. to feel safe. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that was one of the things that. Um, as our children have grown up and some of them have been married and divorced, you know, they have said to us, we want to model ourselves after you and dad because it doesn't have to be this, you know, the stressful relationship um, because it's better for the children if, if it's not. And then, you know, what did the three of us fight about um, the same things every parent group fights about discipline? Mm-hmm. and how you're spending money mm-hmm. you know so we had that so the, then the three of us had to learn to work that out and then there were times where it was clearly inappropriate for me not to be part of that conversation that it mm-hmm. needed to be between you know my husband and uh Linda and mm-hmm. so you know it was just it's really nice and now that they're let's see they're ranging from 37 to 41 I can now see some of the impact mm-hmm. there was like Ooh, they really did listen to me. Ooh, <laughs> I really did have an impact.
0: You were saying about, you know, the conversation, and that's the thing about it. For me, I didn't have to worry about that. I had the the luxury of not having to. At a certain point, I hate to say it. I became the disciplinarian. I became the one that was the caregiver, sole caregiver. And in, near the end of my marriage, it was kind of like, I'm married, but I'm the a single mom. Wow. And how does that work? I mean, at a certain point, it's, it was very surreal for me because it's like, how do you walk away when you know that you are the sole caregiver?
1: Oh, yeah. I can't imagine what that would have been like for you.
0: But when you're not in a happy marriage either, that's it's the, the, the sad thing is in a normal situation, if you walk away from a marriage, the kids you you have equal access to. And right. this, you have no rights. And that's the one thing they don't, that's another thing they don't think about. It's like, when a step-parent has is completely cut out of the kid's life, what are you doing to that child as well?
1: Yeah, exactly. Because they formed a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a divorce for them too. And then there's another rejection that they're possibly dealing with.
0: I remember when my, the, the youngest one, she was 14 and I, Her father just was like, you're not going to talk to her. I'm like, okay. And I I was really upset by it. it bothered me for a long time. And I packed up family pictures that I had and I mailed them to them because it's like, you know, they need to see this part of their life. They're with their mom. Now they need to see this part of their life. So I sent it and then I got some letters from my youngest one and, you know, It was amazing the letters that she was writing to me, but the one broke my heart was she basically told me that she would sit in the rocking chair at her grandmother's house and wait for me to come. Oh, and that about gutted me. And it still sticks with me today because I always said I'd never wanted to get a divorce because I never wanted to put a child through that. So once again, that that running theme of I don't want to put a child through that. Yeah. So. I I know a lot what you're talking about when you you don't want to put that your, your children, biological stuff, whatever, through what you went through, you learned those lessons for a reason.
1: Exactly. Psychologically, emotionally, financially, you know, you're the caretaker and you're supposed to take care of them no matter what. Mm -hmm.
0: So, I mean, if I could go back in time, I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think because that kind of formed my whole relationship. It's like, I'm not going to have kids after this. I, I'm not going to, I wish I did part of partially, but the other side is it just, I think it wounded me so bad. It's like, I don't want to go through that again. Got it. Yeah. So, Mm. But, but I mean, for you, you thrived, you had a, you had a partner, your relationship was solid and you have somebody that, you know, when you decided, Hey, I want to go and do a different business. How did the husband react?
1: Well, he was because I told him, I said, this is going to take an investment of ours, which surprised me that that was coming out of my mouth, um, being the one that would hoard mm-hmm. things because it meant we were going to be um, developing a, a a software system to, to measure leadership behavior and culture, which we didn't have before. And um, we were going to do it outside of the bounds of our current company. And, um, but I felt so strongly that this was the right thing to do. And it was almost like if I didn't do it, I would regret it. And so I asked Barry, I said, This is how much we're going to have to invest. We're not betting the farm, but it's going to feel like we're betting the farm. And, um, you know, and he was just like, Let's go you know, we made it work once before, we'll make it work again. And we already know how to create a successful business. Um, not in this time frame because it's very different than, you know, starting a business in 1990.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, social media really didn't exist. And, um, you know, the use of Facebook, LinkedIn, and, you know, getting your branding out and how much more personal you need to be and all of that stuff. And, um, so, yeah, he just said, "Let's go." Um, so we both retired. He retired first, and I retired a year later from my old company. And that's still in business. We're still owners. And then we went into this new to this new business. And it's it's not been easy. Um, but yet, I find that it, it's been one of the most creative times of my life. And so, so there's still like emotional ups and downs, like, am I going to get the sale? Are we going to be okay? And, and in the long run, I know we are, but, you know, it's, it's the up and down bumps yeah. in the road financially that occurs with any business. And, you know, I know the numbers, you know, generally in year three, you're either going to make it or you're going to break it. And only 75%, I think, of the businesses um, make it to five years or, or not 75%, only 25% of all businesses make it to the fifth year. And so I'm really aware of that and being um, financially conscious um, and how we um, manage our budget and how and how we work has been one piece of it. You know, of course, the other piece of it is that you got to get out there and sell. You can't you can't manage a business by reducing expenses because you'll reduce your expenses out of business yourself out of business if you don't have the income coming in. And so branding, marketing, all of that stuff. And so that that's, it's been frustrating and creative at the same time because um, creating a brand is so much different now. Yeah, but it's 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 fun because like, how do you create a Facebook group? I can't figure out how to connect my Instagram business to my Facebook to my Hootsuite to my you know. Yeah. where's a 20 year old who knows all this <laughs> stuff? <laughs> um, and then yeah, before, you know, I was never a brand. it was my company and now you have to be the brand because people want to know you and that's that's really different too. So there's been a lot I'm I'm glad we I did this because it really got me out of my comfort zone in terms of what it takes because financial stability is still the same. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. If I wanted to, I could retire, but I don't want to, but nor do I want to go into my retirement too early right? in terms of the savings. I got places to go, you know, like when we're able to start traveling the world again, I want to go. That's what I want to tap my retirement for. So in between, um, not, you know, money is just a measure. It's not, it's not it's not the, the, the evidence of your success, but it does um, provide some value of, of what you're, of, you, you can have monetary, mental, emotional, spiritual rewards, so it's, it's one of those, it's not 100% that. Um, you know, so I'm not here to make a ton of money, but I am here because I wanna make a difference. And so as a result of making a difference, I'll make a profit is how I look at it. And in the meantime, my sister's now working with me. That's a lot of fun. We have um, some really young folks working with us that bring a lot of energy and new ideas to, to our group. And when I look at that and then I look at, okay, so I'm, I'm the, the, the caregiver, I'm the breadwinner of going out and getting the sales and that financial stability. But then I also look at it as like, I want to pass the baton to these, these young people who are in my organization so that they can, you know, be self-efficient, self, um, self-motivated, self-inspired to create what it is they want to create for their lives and, you know, and financial Stability is is certainly one piece, and you know, and I look at them thinking that's where I was, you know, in my twenties, yeah. and I, I can look back, being almost sixty, going, I feel like financially I made a lot of right decisions that allowed me to take yet another jump. I could have stayed exactly where I was; it was very comfortable, didn't have to think hardly at all about what I was doing, but um, the creativity that comes with starting a new business, along with the fear. I mean, it's like skiing. You get up there and like, yay, I can't wait to ski. Oh my God. Because I'm not that good. Yay. Oh my (laughs) God. Yay. Oh my God. Fear and excitement are is a thin line.
0: (laughs) There is. And I think that we get lost on that because it's like we there and and fear is a double-edged sword because there's the fear of success, but there's also that fear of failure. Right. And so you're walking, once again, it's that fine line of, so what happens if I fail? What happens if I succeed? They're both
1: have something attached to it. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's important to have a good inner life of, it's not just the finances, it's what what does success really mean to you? And, you know, and at me, you know, you know, I deal with a lot of leaders, it's, it is you know the financial it's the emotional it's the um sense of f- personal fulfillment it's 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 your family life it's you know your spiritual or your faith you know all of those things are what make up a person and having all of it is really to me that definition of success and money is just one evidence of it
0: well and i think I I think that we have to change the definition of success a little bit because we got to a point in this country where everybody needed a college degree, everybody needed their MBA, everybody needed this. And the fact of the matter is, are you losing something? And is it wrong to look down on somebody who's going to come fix your air conditioner or your? Oh, I I like you
1: know. No, but you know
0: what I'm getting at. You know, you know what I'm getting at. You know what I'm getting at, though. It's like, oh, you're going to trade school. Well. You know what? If they can make a decent living, they're happy and they like doing what they're doing. That's success.
1: Well, I, I can share with you two two stories. So both girls, are twins. Um, they became nurses like their mother. Okay. And both boys ended up becoming entrepreneurs like Barry and me. And um, you know, I look at uh, the oldest Bert, he um he, you know, he rather not liked school in high school, <laughs> and getting him to like go was um, difficult. And you know, he's got two girls now, but we're in business with him, and he is. Uh, I think he's going to probably graduate finally, and he's almost forty-one from college. Um, but he's in a business right now on internet security. Which he never would have gotten in in college, I don't think, and um, and it's it's it, the, the company's called Ethopass, and we're now they we're he's now pitching to large banks and hospital systems and all of this stuff because of the necessity to keep records safe, yeah. and I I can sort of explain what the business is, but I mean it's above it's above my pay grade, and I look at him and think would college have ruined his thinking, you know, mm-hmm. because he's, he, for him, the sky's the limit. He's got five more huge ideas. And, and he says, he said, I hope it doesn't happen. He said, but the average millionaire, millionaire fails, at least goes bankrupt at least three times. He said, so I haven't been there yet. So maybe I need to fail. And I'm like, you know, you don't have to do that. But if you can become, but this thing is like almost ready to take off. And then he's got two more behind it, you know, three more behind it that are equally disruptive, almost like unicorn kind of ideas that I look at him and I think, I wish I didn't have the, the fears that I see that he doesn't have. You know, he does have them. He does worry. He's raising two girls. You know, he's married. He's got a mortgage. He's got all of that stuff. Then the other one drew his his friend um uh ended up committing suicide after being in Fallujah. And he was sort of lost for a while, didn't know what he wants to do. And now he's become, he created a nonprofit called Mattersville. And what they do is he, you know, create he gets tiny homes. He 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 he's had land donated, they have tiny homes for vets. PTSD vets to come through, and then they also do um they save wolves. So the wolves help the vets, and the vets help nice. wolves. And they cre- they've been creating these sustainable communities. And so you look at uh, Drew, who's running a nonprofit, scraping for every penny, right? And you know, but the fulfillment that he's getting in terms of making a difference, and and, and he's an animal lover, so just being with the wolves and as he you'll see if you saw his tick-tock he's i'm the alpha but knowing that vets are able to um go there and you know what do you need when you have ptsd you need love you need acceptance yeah. you, you also need that psychological help as well well these wolves you know they've been rescued too and so it's it creates a nice a nice community and and so for drew yes he, he would like to make more money, but it's not all about that either. He has financial freedom, if you will, doing what he does. And, and Bert's the same thing. And yet he's this big ideas. We're going to get rid of inter, uh, passwords for everybody, you know, internet security on a, you know, distributed network. And that's about all I know about that. Um, you know, and, and chain, chain, not chain link. Yeah. See, it shows you how much I really know. Blockchain you know, um, platform. And and so I look at all of that and I think both of them, well, all four of them had to face their fear in a, in a certain way. And even Didi now, one of the nurses, she decided, you know what, I don't, didn't, she before even COVID happened, but she decided, you know what, I want to work at home. So she went back to school, got a programming degree. And now because she's a nurse and there's a thing called Epic, she's now doing programming at home. And her nursing background helps because it's all about the coding of, you know. Right. And I look at them and I'm thinking, wow, three of them ended up being entrepreneurs, if you will, and willing to take financial risk. And that wasn't something we sat down with them and said, you know, so when you start a business, these are the things you need to do. Make sure you have five months worth of blah, 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 blah. Somehow we passed on, you know, if you want it, go for it. And don't worry about skinning your knees because you will skin your knees. And um, you know, I look at that and I'm like, wow, this is That's pretty
0: pre- cool. It's pretty powerful. I mean, most most I would say most people they get caught in the fear and they don't move forward. But I think yeah. COVID, as bad as it's been, I think in a way it's been a gift because a lot of people are taking their power back and saying, you know what? I'm not just a hamster on a wheel. Right. I'm exactly. not just gonna go to corporate America and you know, you I'm sure understand this as well, you know, when Working for corporate America a long time ago, you got benefits. They paid for your health care. They paid for this. You had this bonus. You had that, and then that's all been waysided. And, and and your deductible now on your insurance is is insane. And so, what are you doing? You're going there, stressing yourself out because we have the we have cell phones. They can reach you at any time they want. Yeah. So when do you, when do you take a break? And, and, and some jobs are so stressful that even when you leave the job, meaning the office for the day, you're still working the job, even in your dreams. Yes. Or should I say nightmares? Because
1: depends on the job. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think that we have seen that change and I think it's going to
1: continue to change. I, I think so too. I hope so. You know, cause most of my clients are in corporate America and you know, when I've watched, in fact, I was working with a team last week and, you know, the level of burnout that mm-hmm. these people have. And, um, and then, you know, in this particular organization, you know, the powers that be suddenly decided that um, you've got to make all your numbers. And they, you know, just three months ago, they were forcing everybody back out to travel. But now, because the numbers look a certain way, now you can't travel. And it's like, I look at that and I think, God love you guys for, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm here to help you with your leadership, with your teamwork, with your culture. But I am so glad I'd rather have the fear of the ups and downs of the financial. Mm-hmm. But the I look at it as um, the, the the security of the freedom of my time. Yeah. It, whereas a lot of people wouldn't consider that to be security. And, and I too, from my, even though it was my company, I almost didn't leave my own company for that very reason of healthcare. Okay. And then one of the days I just woke up, I'm like, duh, Sue. There's the Affordable Care, Care Act. Act. Mm-hmm. You can get, if you want, I'm really quite healthy. You can get a high deductible plan. You don't have, you can get healthcare. You just buy it the way you buy auto insurance. And when mm-hmm. I finally got over that fear, then it was very clear it was time for me to pass the baton in my own company to the next to, to my business partners and the next generation, and for me to go off because I was actually able to find the kind of healthcare that suits me for five hundred and fifty a month. Mm-hmm. I, I was paying more under my own, own company. Yeah. For my portion mm-hmm. of the insurance, and like this is now it is it's a high deductible. It's it's for emergencies only. But um, you know, I've always practiced um, complementary medicine. I'm healthy, it, so I've just knock on wood trusted that that I'll continue that. And if I really need it, I have a maximum ceiling of how much out of pocket I have. I put that aside, and then the rest is covered. So. I'm like, okay, you can leave, and, and you can still put away for retirement. You know all this stuff.
0: That's a gift, and when you have that power to be able to leave, I mean, there's a lot of people that they can't, and you know, yeah. I, I, I've t- it amazes me because now McDonald's is sixteen dollars an hour.
1: I know, and I just heard Chipotle is eighteen dollars an hour plus health benefits. I'm like, wow, that's and that's a- seven thousand a year
0: that's incredible because, you know, but here's the thing, are they going to work you full time or are they only going to give you 20 hours a week?
1: Yeah. Who knows? That's, that was my second question. When I heard that, I'm like, is that full time? Or are you only getting 20 hours,
0: you know, because, to
1: keep you underneath
0: because then if you only get 20 hours, then you have to pick up a second job to try to get, you know, and then you have to coordinate all that with all the, And it's, all stress. it's you know, all stress. The one thing, I mean, you're, you and I are not too far in, in, in age difference. And, you know, I, I posted something on the Internet and my uncle's like he's in his 70s. He's like it was about gardening, about the, teach gardening in schools. And he's, this is what he says to me, though, that's the parent's job. And I said, parents don't have that time now.
1: Mm-mm.
0: They don't. I mean, Before. Even though we may have had really some dark spots, there was still time that we spent with our family, good, bad and different. There was still they didn't necessarily have all these things going on. Now, besides kids competing for your time, there's also competing with your cell phone. Yes. Or the kids getting I mean, I've seen toddlers. Here you go in the grocery store. Here's a cell phone. Go for it.
1: Oh, yeah. And go ahead. I agree with gardening. I mean, living out where I live, I have a huge garden, um, like huge. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my next door neighbor does it with me. And so from the time her kids were in uh, kindergarten, she was running a gardening program at the school. And every grade as they went through, then that was the grade that was helping with the gardens. And she was actually getting, you know, six-year-olds to eat kale soup. Wow. Yeah. Like oh, that's that's impressive.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll eat. I mean, I'll eat kale in a salad, but I don't know about kale soup. But you know, by the I way, do.
1: she makes it; it's really good.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, you also wrote two books. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So the first one was the is called Real Leadership: Waken to Wisdom, and it's based on the idea that some of the best leaders that I ever met um, really knew how to balance the human side with the productivity side or the business side. And that when they did that, people, you know, in some ways would almost kill for them because they were being treated with respect. But they also, the best leaders that I met were what I would say were human. They were reachable. They were touchable. And so I was trying to outline what really made the difference between what I would say was a good leader and somebody that people would like just fall over and die for, if you will, not cult-like, but just, they were that good in the, in the way that they did things. And so, and that's what my second company is about is that once I had that idea of what that distinction is, then can you measure it? And then can you teach others to repeat it? You know, so that's where the software ca- came in. Um, and then the second book, which will actually be due out in, um, in February is called um, Real Culture, for, for uh, Steps to Build Your Competitive Advantage, because it's actually leaders that impact culture inside of an organization. The way a leader is, the way they communicate, the way they address, how much they empower, how much they control will ultimately determine the performance of a group. Now, people will comply without with um, if they're fear driven, but you never get the best of people in a culture like that. And when you have a culture where people feel inspired and they can be creative and yeah, there's always house rules of whatever organization you work with. Um, you know, those that know how to, to really lead and, um, help people understand the house rules and not feel victimized by the house rules, there's always going to be house rules. Um, you know, they, they tend to be highly successful and they stand out. And I would say in the 30 some years that I've been doing this work, I can name 10 people that I feel like sort of really fit this profile. There's others who get close, but, um, you know, the, the again with this team the other day, there was a decision that was made, and it was just like it was so fear-based, and it was coming from above this particular group. And this was a, a C-suite group, and it was, you know, the next they have regions throughout the throughout the, the globe. And so the next level region, and we just like that is nothing but fear, and how how often fear causes companies to become contracted. And so, so then uh, they espouse, oh, we need resilience, we need agility, we need engagement and inspiration. Well, you know, because they are, you know, you get people who become so afraid of taking risks then they go by way of Kodak, yeah. you know, the, the, uh, or the, um, it took me a while to remember, I was like, oh yeah, the Blackberry. Oh, yeah. Right. That's, yeah, the the it, Palm it, it, Pilot. The Palm Pilot. Look at Blockbuster. They didn't think Netflix was something to contend with. But mm-hmm. we we get afraid and we hold on and we don't take risks and we stay in that mold. And I think in some ways that sort of drove me to start another company. Did I get too comfort zoned? hmm. Was there something else where I needed to stretch my wings? And, um, but I see it repeat over and over. And there's two companies that I'm working right now. And I mean, these are large global companies. I think if they don't change, I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 or 20 years, they might become the next blockbuster. Well, look at Sears. Sears. You know, I mean,
0: yeah. (laughs) These were companies that were rock solid. And I, I go back to, I worked in insurance and before 9-11, insurance was a golden place to work. It was a place where job security was, it was there. And I'm it was liability, the liability product in. And after 9-11, that changed. Things became very dicey in the insurance world and com- big companies failed. And you, yeah. you did not know what your, in fact, the last company I worked for ended up ultimately failing because they expanded so quickly. yeah, And you had a home office based in Pennsylvania, but the president of the company was in Chicago. Mm. But because we're based in Pennsylvania, we can pay you Pennsylvania wages and not what's in Chicago. But then it wasn't only that, they they started taking very high risk books of business. And it was just like, what are you doing? But that being said, Since you're you're talking about leadership books, I tried to be a fair boss. I was a a claim supervisor, a unit supervisor. And my big boss one day gives me this book. And I've never read it. So if I'm wrong, you know. But I kind of took offense to it because I like being the nice girl. And he gave me this book that says nice girls don't get the corner office. And I'm just like, and my husband's like, Well, you can have the corner office. I'm like, I don't want the corner office. I don't want the stress that comes with the corner office. Right. And I took offense because it's like, why do I want to be a shark when I'm happy with who I am? Yeah. Which I know that I know a lot of people love that book and I, I've never read it. I still own it, but I, I kind of he, he in fact prefaced the whole thing with I saw this. I bought it for you. I don't know if I should give it to you. Well, if that was already your thought process, maybe
1: you should know. Well, and if you look at now what's being espoused in order to keep younger generation, right? Mm-hmm. Compassion, values, meaning, purpose, respect. These things were always you know, talked about before, but no, the younger generation leaves if there's no meaning or value or purpose, mm-hmm. if they don't have a voice at the table. And this is stuff that they should've, we should have been doing a long time ago. But now it's really, they've been able to, unlike when we were younger, they're able to actually put dollars around this. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, we, we didn't have the voice. I mean, say what you want about social media. And I have knocked it a little bit because it can be toxic, but it can also create something overnight. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, how many yoga pants have been sold on TikTok?
1: Well, exactly, yoga (laughs) pants. But, you know, even shopping for clothes, right? I mean, this is undermining all of the retail outlets is that I can get, you know, five outfits sent to me, pick the ones I like, send the rest back. It's at my convenience. Or I just rent them for a month and I send them all back and they get recycled. And then I get a whole new set of clothes and I'm spending about the same amount of money anyway of new clothes I would have bought and then given to Goodwill. So why not just never really own my own wardrobe? Well, that's really turned retail upside down.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, and then uh, recently Torrid had gotten big brouhaha because there's a TikTok reviewer that reviews plus size fashion. And she took Torrid to task. And Torrid lashed out at her. What turned around was people lashed back out at Torrid. And the one thing I have to say, I mean, I do like Torrid. It's a little bit edgier than Lane Bryant. And the fact of the matter is when I was on hold one time, they're talking on their little answering, you know, their little message, recorded message. This is for the young, hip women. And I'm like, you're missing a whole demographic. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing, I think, because you look at a plus size woman, it's like, oh, well, they're going to look like their mom or grandma. They don't want to look hip
1: oh they do and now it's so nice to see you know lululemon athleta all of that they have all the sizes of people because that's what reality is and it's just to me that just looks much more normal but i'm still going
0: to order it online versus going
1: to the store
0: well unlike paulina porstova she's you know attached she's finally And and some other models as well are coming out saying, look, I'm over 50. You don't like it. I I don't have all the, you know, I'm going to be who I'm going to be. Right. Accept me. And I think that's been a big generational push that has needed to happen. I talked to a British uh, writer, film writer, and she's opening her own production company. And her her whole thing is making productions that have older women. So we're not constantly dealing with the, you know, I don't want to say there's anything wrong with the younger generation, but how many movies do you actually see the older man with the woman that is his age? Very few. So are we not setting up, you know, men to have this idea that when I hit a certain age, I better trade in the, my
1: wife and, and get the younger model. I mean, of course, there's the opposite happening now, too. We're older women. True, you know, true. We're true. a younger model as well.
0: I mean, really, when you think about it, kind of all the rules that we learn are going out the door.
1: They are. And, the, you know, and I guess I really like the disruption that's occurring. You know, one of the the things that my my uh, stepson, Bert, and I talked about is like when the you were hearing in New York that they're going to call everyone back to work. Well, some people actually moved out of New York and went to. North Carolina or Florida, they got out of the very expensive and, um, and I was, and I was saying that, you know, um, it was a Goldman Sachs guy, I think, you know, he said, well, if you're not going to come back in, we're going to adjust your pay. And so Bert and I were talking about, and, and, uh, I said, well, that makes sense to me. And he said, why they're still doing the same job. What does it matter about where they live? You know, so then I found myself sounding old, right. Well, their pay was adjusted for the location that they were working in. You know, there is, they up leveled it. And so they don't, they're not living there anymore. And he said, well, it doesn't matter anymore. If you can work from anywhere, then you pay for the job or the role, not based on the location. And I thought, oh my God, if he's thinking that way at 41, then others are thinking that way. You know, then so I, I can sometimes really think pie in the mm-hmm. sky. So then, what happens to major cities then, where pay pay has gone up based on, you know, cost of living in let's say New York City or Chicago or San Francisco? But if I can work from anywhere, then that levels a playing field in terms of payroll in a way that we haven't thought about before.
0: Okay. And I was like, ooh. It's kind of the reverse of what I was talking about, because like I said, our home office is based in Pennsylvania. So we're not going to pay you what you should be making in Chicago. Right. And I've, I have a, I interviewed somebody that her and her husband sold everything they own except for a small storage shed. And they live in an RV and they're driving around the country and they're working via satellite. Yep. I mean, I think that the constraints Of being in an office and nine to five in the let me get to the office, let me go through the traffic. I think that's coming to an end. And I know that I was reading on LinkedIn that some corporate place, corporate facilities are selling their facilities, their organizational buildings, and turning them into apartments and stuff. Some of them are being turned into apartments. Yeah. That being said, where I live, we have, and it actually made Politico, we have the old Motorola plant here that was bought back in, it was built in the 1990s, closed in 2002, bought by somebody who ended up being one of the oligarchs who ended up getting in trouble with child trafficking, a Russian Mm. oligarch, Um, and then it was sold to a Chinese businessman, I believe, who is in jail in Canada for fraud security, and now it has recently been sold again, but during all of this, we had this huge campus. I mean, it had daycare, stadium, auditorium. Now the power has been off for years. The water has been off for years. And this was something huge for the tax base in this town. Yeah. And our town actually has a sign that says where success comes naturally. And the first time we drove through and my husband saw it's like, where success comes to die. I'm like, that, but I mean, I can't disagree because now they're like, okay, we sold the building again. And everybody in town's like, yeah, let's see what happens now. Who's the owner this time? Oh, it's a, it's an investment, a group of oh. investors, which, what does this mean? Who knows? But that's, that's the thing about, it. you know, all this, all this real estate that we have, that's going to, now either have to to change because I mean, you can't just sell a building and say okay we're going to turn it into apartments because then you have the whole zoning issue then you have the whole tax structure issue and it's going to change a lot of things a lot of movable plate pieces and then the other thing is now you have cryptocurrency
1: which is yep.
0: home, which i find funny because we already have banks in this town we have nine thousand people in this town they just built a brand new bank and i'm thinking. Of all the things to build with cryptocurrency on the rise, why are you doing this?
1: How many people actually go into a bank anymore? I don't. No, they bu- I mean, they built
0: a brand new bank. And we have four or five banks in town already. And I don't see them busy. I don't understand why you would do this. My friend came to town for the first time in about four years, and she's like, OK, so you have a Burger King, you have a McDonald's, you have a Subway and you have a Culver's and there's only 9000 people in your town. And I'm like, yeah, but we're on a main drag. That's why. Mm-hmm. But we don't have a grocery store. We have Walmart. OK, so, you know, you live in a small town, too. So, I mean, it's like when do you know, and, and that's another question. When does Walmart go bust? Because I don't think Walmart can sustain where they're at.
1: Well, if you look at their business model, who are they now going after? They're going after Amazon. True. So they have a um, a storefront which Amazon didn't have, and now Amazon is buying up the um,
0: Whole Foods.
1: Well, they bought up Whole Foods, but they are now buying up the empty shopping malls. Oh. That went yeah, and so they're turning that not necessarily into storefronts. But distribution centers where they've already got all the space, they've got all the parking, which then makes it easier for logistics, right, to to get product to people where where, where Walmart already had that, right? They're in every hometown, if you will, and Walmart needed to then compete on deliver it to me at home. And now Amazon has to do the same. And so they they've been buying up um, old shopping malls that are abandoned, and then turning them into their warehousing, their distribution, and you know. So so then, you talk about automation and people go, getting out of jobs. The more and more they are able to perfect these drone things or driverless cars, um, you know, this is where I think financially speaking, when you when you talk about fi- personal finances, I think you have to be aware of. The kinds of trends that are coming uh, to fruition, you know, we we talked about oh, a lot of um, jobs were lost in the auto industry, and they thought it was to Mexico. It wasn't. It was t- it was lost to if you actually really look at what happened, mm-hmm. it was lost to automation. It was lost to robotics. You know, now we have um, uh, a- analytics, right? The AI, AI, AI. And before you would have somebody with a brain that would say, strategically, we need to be X, Y, Z, and then your planning group. Well, now I've got my data analytics that says, here are the trends and here's what's going on and here and here, are you know, in the business world and here are the gaps. Well, then you, you sort of start to automate strategy, <laughs>
0: Well exactly, and I was gonna say you can you can go all the way back to McDonald's. you can go all the way I, I look at my because that was my very first real job. I look at McDonald's I had to deal with the fry baskets. I had to make the drinks. Now, as soon as you say what you're gonna get and they hit that button, the drink is starting to go. Everything is already automated and Taco Bell was talking about making a restaurant. I saw and then maybe it's not gonna happen, but I saw a conceptual photo of putting the restaurant on top having a drive through where there was four drive through lanes and having it automated wow yeah. so, so
1: then what yeah. happens to jobs so yeah. i think people have to become really creative over the next 25 years and this is where i think young people are smart because they're looking at well what can i do at home where's my niche what can i what what can i offer and oh by the way company do you fit my Right. um, You know, the things that I want and need, not that you're the only one who gets to choose. And that's another flip with with things like this. And that's I actually like seeing this happen. It is a disruption, but I really like seeing it because it it puts people on more of an equal playing field. And, you know, you can uh, you can create your own company if you want and then contract yourself to different places and really learn if you're not really learn how to create your own financial freedom choose your own adventure choose your own adventure Mm -hmm. but you got to deal with the f-word you got to deal with fear but you know and the the possibility of failure and the possibility of failure but there's also equally true the possibility of vibrancy and excitement. And yeah, you will fail. You will make mistakes, but learn, get up, learn from them, go, you know, as Michael Jordan says, I, I don't remember all the stats, but he has a famous quote of how many times he was given the winning shot and he failed. Yeah. And, you know, and Babe Ruth saying, you know, I struck out more times than I ever hit home runs. Well,
0: that how many off? you how many authors have queried somebody and, and gotten rejection after rejection, yet they're a best selling author? I mean, you can look at it in so many different f- avenues, but you have to get over the fear, the fear. How to get that away. is that's the, the the key thing is you have to be fearless.
1: There's a great book by a woman named Dr. Susan Jeffers. I've read it, but I always just remember the title called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway you're going to have it We're biologically wired to have fear. So, all right, I'm afraid, you know, every time I get on the top of the mountain because I'm not a very good skier it's like, Oh my God, I say other words underneath. (laughs) Yeah. Wouldn't be allowed here. And then, um, you know, and then I, (laughs) and then I go, you know, I go and, you know, there's probably, I might fall. Somebody might take me out at the knees and I'm, I mean, I'm going to have fun. It's going to, it's going to be all of it. And so, you know, you feel the fear and you do it anyway and enjoy the ride.
0: Somebody once told me there are no memories without the risk. I think so. And that's the thing. There are no memories. If you don't take that risk, if you stay in a cocoon, you're never going to experience life to the fullest. And then you look back and go, well, what if?
1: What if? I never wanted to. I used to project when I was younger. I did not want to get to that And, you know, it's much closer now than when I was 18, that point where I look back and had regret for not doing something that was really near and dear to my heart. And that's why I jumped and I took the risk again, even though my other company still in business, still doing really well, you know, it was an easy road and I could have just gone another five years and then retired and and I still would have enjoyed it I liked what I was doing but it was like I you know when I'm 70 75 80 whenever that day comes I know I would have kicked myself for not trying yeah so I had you know it was almost like I I had to jump I had to and, and I'm happy
0: otherwise it's it's important that you can you don't look back and go okay I could have done this and I didn't Exactly. you have the fulfillment. So is there anything that we really haven't talked about that you'd like to bring up?
1: No. Well, if this is supposed to be about, you know, like taking risks and finance, you know, if you find something that really floats your boat, learn all you can. And I always tell people, learn what you can and be smart and, and, and you have to be crazy and jump. Yeah. And, and learn and learn because if, if you know you're going to make a mistake and fall down, get back up and figure out what didn't work and do it and, and begin again. That's why I tell people begin again and move forward and don't, you know, that's where you have to be a little crazy. You have to believe and believe itself sometimes.
0: Well, as uh, not that my audience can say, but
1: believe yeah mm-hmm. keep that on my desk like ted lasso believe mm-hmm. have you watched that show
0: no but i've heard it it's one of those things i want to check out but i i between the podcast and writing it's it's not always an easy thing to do you know
1: but that's so. what they have believe above <laughs> the thing
0: so i've had that sign since the mid-90s and it's like it just keeps you motivated so it does. It does. so i thank you susan thank for coming you. on
1: Thank you
0: so much. Well, that was interesting. You know, we talked about, as I said before, being a step-parent, and we also talked about corporate America and how everything is kind of disruptive now, how things are changing and evolving and how you have to be more creative in your thinking to, for the future, because what has worked in the past may not necessarily work now. You have to realize that fear can hold you back. And you need to try to climb past that. You need to get over that. So I hope that the podcast today has given you some food for thought and made you more willing to say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to see if I can do it. And the worst thing that's going to happen is you may fail and then you pick yourself up, dust yourself off and keep on going. So on that note, I hope you enjoyed today's show. All the links are in the bio as always, or show notes. I always say bio, but it's the show notes. And if you want to you know reach out, Donna at bettertopodcast.com. If you want to see all the list of shows that have been on, bettertopodcast.com and while you're at the site, if you look up at the top right hand corner, there's all our links our social media links. So you can click on one of those. There's also, you can buy me a cup of coffee and we also have a Patreon account if you care to support the show. So I appreciate you guys. Thanks for tuning in as always and have a great day and I'll catch you next time. Bye. You're listening to the Better Two Podcast with DM Needham.